Hey guys, welcome back to Texas 1031. So I'm really excited because I finally got approved by iTunes to be an official podcast. So that's pretty freaking rad. Uh, it's super surreal. Um, I still think it's weird when, I don't know, my friends are like, oh, I listen to it. And I mean friends, meaning like my mom or something. But so far, it's been okay. I'm sure they're lying to me, but it's fine. I'm proud of myself, so it's okay. Uh, still exciting stuff. And now I get to say that awful cheesy line that we all hear. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. Uh, just kidding. You don't have to give a five-star rating because I know it's not five stars. But it would be really cool because... Like I can't, it's harder to search and find the podcast until it actually has like ratings and reviews. Um, and so it'd be cool if I could even get on like the top like 5,000th podcast list or something like that. Um, so yeah, rate, review, subscribe, blah, 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 blah. And I also know that it's, um, I put it in the comedy category because honestly, I originally had the intent of having, you know, my friends on the podcast. So I knew that some funny moments were going to be had and, since there isn't a true crime category, I can't necessarily like describe it as anything else. So I just kept it under comedy for now. And uh, yeah, just look it up under that, I guess. I don't know. Um, I thought about putting it under maybe like the social slash like culture category or whatever it is. But then I slowly realized I was probably going to be lumped in with like weird podcast about like touring India and the economy of Uganda or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's a comedy podcast. Ha ha. Um, I already know that I made like a shit ton of mistakes in the first two episodes with like names and dates. And I think I said like 2009 at one point when I meant to say 2001. So I apologize. Don't need to yell at me through your headphones or whatever, but, um, just wanted to uh, correct myself already, since you guys probably already were, not that anyone's listening. Um, but I'm actually going to meet with my lovely friend on Monday to wrangle her on board. So hopefully you will have a new favorite host and you won't have to listen to me say fuck 80 times. <laughs> um, okay, so just let's go ahead and get started. Um, so this episode's case is about Megan Curl. Now, um, I can't even remember honestly how I stumbled on her case. I think I was just typing in Texas cities with the word murder after it or behind it. And, uh, it like casually popped up, uh, which reminds me actually, um, I won't just be staying in like the Houston area for murders. I will be branching out. Um, it was just easier at first to pick ones kind of located where I'm at. Um, and I was able to just get more information and plus Houston's a big area. So a lot of shit goes down here. Um, which leads me to say, um, if you have any cool crimes or anything that took place in Texas, please email me, uh, or email them to me, whatever. Um, whether you type, the murder out, or if you have a link to something, whatever, um, an article, uh, or you can direct message me on Instagram. And I can tell you now at Texas 1031 podcast at Gmail and at Instagram, remember no dashes, no spaces, no capitalizations all run together. Um, you'd actually be kind of surprised to like, it's actually pretty difficult to find murders and crimes that are interesting because, um, uh, I know Texas is a big place and there are big cities here, but a lot of them are just like, oh, this guy shot this guy. So it's not very 
I don't want to say that's not interesting, but it kind of gets old after a minute. Like, I don't want to just be like, oh, he went down to the street and it's over, you know? Um, so when I go on like Murderpedia, uh, that's kind of the majority of the at least male crimes. Um, now the female crimes, girl, that's a different story. Like I have two, I think, yeah, two, uh, on, in my like lineup of ones to record and like shit, these women are kooky to say the least. So, uh, that's exciting. I'm going to get into those, but again, I just wanted to let you guys know, I won't just be focusing on Houston. I'll try and branch out a little bit, but anyways, um, most of the information I got for this case, which I didn't specify in the other two episodes, which I should, um, in case you want to look it up or whatever. Um, uh, the information I got was from news articles, basically from the local papers and then <clears throat> online uh, news station reports uh, as well. For this case specifically, um, there was an article written in regards to her case that was actually put on, well, I guess her case was on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, um, that TV show, and then I guess they put it on their Unsolved Mysteries blog or something like that however that works. But yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know where I got my information. So you don't just think I'm making shit up. And honestly, like it's kind of weird. You'll go to like Wikipedia and of course all that shit's a lie half the time, but then you'll finally dig a little bit deeper and the facts are completely different, like along the same line, similar, but not. So if my research is incorrect, I'm sorry, (laughs) I'm doing my best, but if you have any corrections, please let me know. And, um, I won't re-record it or anything, but at least that will be clarified and you'll feel better about it, I guess. But um, that sounds super insensitive. I'm going to shut up now. All right. So Megan Curl, um, full name is Megan Kristen Romero Curl, and she was born on October 1st, 1973. I need to move my microphone. Okay. So what I'm recording today, it's October 4th. So her birthday would have just been a few days ago, technically. Um, And she actually wouldn't live to see her 27th birthday. So she was pretty young when she died. Um, Megan was found in her apartment. Is that right? Is my math correct? Hold on. I got to pause this to make sure that that's entirely certain. Okay. Yeah, I was correct that that's true. I was like, 73, 2000, I can't math. And then when I did get my calculator out, because I can't do math in my head, I put in multiplication instead of subtraction. So I was like, damn, this bitch is old. Okay, that was stupid. Um, Okay, so she wouldn't live past uh, to see her 27th birthday, sorry. She was found in her apartment um, March 26, 2000 in Lufkin, Texas. Now, I literally just paused it again because I wanted to make sure I actually knew where Lufkin was before I just randomly decided to spew out information. Um, I've always heard of Lufkin. I I get it mixed up with Lubbock, which that doesn't make sense. Lubbock is like the um, Texas Tech city where that school is, whatever. Lufkin, evidently, it says it's like 120 some odd miles northeast of Houston. So I'm looking at a map of Texas right now and it's closest to Houston, basically just kind of above it. Um, Not really, I guess maybe more near Dallas than Austin, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, But it's a small town. Um, and she was found, like I said, in her apartment, she was suffocated and, um, well, they find out she was suffocated and her throat was slit, not once, but twice. Um, like one on each side is what it said. Um, and then she was bound to her bed before her apartment unit was actually set on fire. 
So um, heavy stuff already, um, pretty brutal. I'm not really sure. Well, I mean, no, I don't really know what happened. But I'll go into it, but I'm not. Uh, from what it seems, uh, this girl probably didn't deserve that. No one deserves that. But we'll get into kind of the details of everything now. Um, so a little description about Megan. Um, she actually had been diagnosed with mild retardation and, um, she kind of required some special attention and that's kind of quoted by her mother. And I don't know if she means like attention, meaning like literally like medically and like special needs because, uh, I'll post the photo of her and she doesn't, and this sounds really bad, but she doesn't necessarily look, have the quintessential, um, appearance of, someone with a mental disability. Um, and so I was kind of thrown off by that a little bit, not saying that you can't have, um, a mental disability or a handicap, whatever you want to call it. And I'm going to get yelled at, aren't I? This is not good. I need to get off this tangent of appearance. Um, but I think she, cause when you go, when I go into the story, you'll understand that like the majority of the time when you think about someone with a mental disability, you don't think about them doing what she's about to go do. And she was living on her own, things like that. So obviously you can have, um, problems, but still be a functioning person in society. And so I think that that's more or less what I'm trying to say. Please don't yell at me. My, I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't go about that. Great. But who can, um, anyway, so, um, she required special attention. So I'm assuming basically when I kind of was researching this, she was a little needy in the sense of not necessarily requiring attention, but wanting attention. And she wanted, um, everyone to kind of like, I don't know. She wanted to be the center of attention is basically what I gathered from that. Um, so Megan and her family, they moved to Lufkin, uh, when she was, uh, in high school. And then by the time she was like 18, she got married and she moved out. She moved to Arkansas, um, which, uh, I don't know if that's any better than Lufkin, but Arkansas is kind of is college state, I guess. Right. Razorbacks, diamondbacks, football. I don't know. So anyway, basically she, she gets married when she's too young to be getting married. And she, uh, Evidently, the marriage was pretty abusive, uh, wasn't great, and so she decides to move home. Now, on her arrival back in Lufkin, um, according to her mom, um, I think it was pretty apparent that she just kind of wanted to regain some of that time that maybe she missed uh, doing what younger, early 20s, late teens people do, and she kind of just wanted to have some fun after, you know, moving on from this marriage, um, and I guess a few days before her death, Megan and her mom, they actually, you know, they went shopping, they went uh, shopping for new clothes and makeup. And what's weird is just probably like the stuff, you know, that she maybe wore the night of her death. And it's uh, kind of creepy, I guess, to think about your days before you die, I guess, and what kind of plays into that. Um, evidently, she kind of uh, was a bit of a party girl. So that's what kind of I mean when I, I'll reference back to the attention thing. I think she wanted to have fun and she wanted to do fun things and partying was one of them. And that was the way she could get some attention and feel a part of the group or whatever. Um, so she was a party girl, but I mean, honestly, I don't blame her who wasn't, uh, or who isn't when you live in Lufkin, Texas. <laughs> um, 
So the night of her murder, okay, she had been out dancing at this club called, uh, or bar, whatever. Uh, it was called the Electric Cowboy. And um, I remember seeing one of these in Dallas back in like the early 2000s. And it was next to this brunch place that my friend and I would go to. And um, I never really knew what it was. I think I actually mentioned it to my dad one time and he was like, oh yeah, I remember those. Like that's that place has been around for forever. And I mean, if my dad was born, I mean, my dad was probably, you know, her age, well, no, that's a lie. He would not be <laughs> 20. Oh, okay. So in 73, he would have been going out to those places is what I'm saying. So like when she was born, never mind. stupid tangent, but it, evidently this whole electric cowboy, uh, maybe franchise or chain, if you will, uh, has been around for a minute. So I just thought that was kind of weird that I saw one of them when I like, I don't know, it was just strange. Uh, it took me back there for a second. Um, anyway, so she had been seen um, interacting with just an unknown man, like nobody knew who he was. Uh, he supposedly bought her a few drinks, and they hung out like the majority of the time that they were there. Um, but I guess maybe things got a little too rowdy, and they were eventually asked to leave. I'm not sure if it was closing time um, or if she had too much to drink, and they were just being annoying. Um, but to me, you know, since Lufkin is such a small place. Um, for the bar staff and like regulars, maybe they didn't recognize him. Uh, to me, that's an immediate kind of red flag in a sense of like, it's not like it's a town you just pass through on a layover or a, you know what I mean? Um, you don't just, uh, does that make sense? It's a small town. Everyone knows each other. So if you see someone who isn't necessarily uh, been there before, it doesn't mean they murdered someone, obviously, but it kind of um, sticks out in your mind maybe of like, hey, I don't recognize this person. Who is this? She's all over this girl. It makes it a little bit more memorable. I don't know. Um, so like I said, she um, they are told to leave the bar and um, she goes over to the sports shack. The guy isn't there. She spent the rest of her evening there, which leads me to believe, you know, the first bar wasn't closing time. It was just um, they were getting a little too rowdy. So they were told to leave. And she spent the rest of her night having a good time at the sports shack. And then she actually gets a ride home with an employee of the sports shack. And um, there was maybe like one article I read that was like they were acquaintances, they were friends, um, not just a rando employee or anything. And I think that whole situation was cleared. It wasn't, it had, that person had no involvement. <clears throat> but, um, this is when everything kind of starts uh, getting real. So upon arriving home, she actually spoke briefly with her neighbor. And um, I've seen her called Tanya, but I'm pretty sure that's just like a uh, name that they gave her. Um, but I, I, I could be wrong. It could be Tanya. But I think that was just um, to keep her anonymous, essentially. Okay, so I literally... I, I don't even remember when I typed this and like researched this, but clearly I didn't read back through what I was recording because I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Like every single fucking sentence that I go through. Uh, I'm literally about to tell you that she was seen talking to her neighbor around 1.30, which isn't the biggest deal in the world, but I've literally been questioning myself of like, was the bar closed? Did she finish her night out at this bar or that bar? And like, if I would have just fucking read my shit, you know, before I recorded, then I wouldn't sound completely stupid more so than I already do. Um, 
Okay, so she didn't close down any bar, all right? She leaves at a decent hour, I guess. Then she shows up. She's talking to her neighbor, 1.30. Uh, during that time, okay, so they both see a man. He pulls up in his vehicle. Um, and Megan uh, says that she mentions that she thought it was the man that she had met at the club, okay? Um, and so according to Tanya, he supposedly kind of races up to the apartments and, like, screeches to, like, stop. Like he is hauling ass down the street to like get there. Uh, I'm not really sure why. Maybe he's trying to catch her before he goes in or she goes in, whatever. But um, everything's fine. They go kind of into their apartments. The dude stays in the car and whatever. Tanya, evidently, she comes back out. Um, she goes in and out of her apartment just a few times to see um, if everything's kind of okay because it was just kind of a weird situation. And at one point, one of the times she goes out of her apartment, she sees um, Megan and the man in the car. And that was the first time she came out of her apartment. The second time she sees um, that they were not outside, but the car was still there. So they had most likely gone into Megan's apartment. So this kind of creeps her out, right? So she decides, Tanya decides to go and knock on Megan's door about um, an hour later to check on her just to make sure that everything's okay. She still saw the car. She, you know, it was just a weird uh, interaction, I guess. And so being a good neighbor, I think personally. So Tanya knocks on the door, Megan answers and kind of Tanya's like, are you okay? That kind of thing. And she, Megan says, yeah, you know, I was right. Uh, it was my friend from the club. I have a phone call. Hold on. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, so yeah, she says, I was right. You know, it was my friend from the club and the man and Tanya, they actually never exchanged words. Okay. So they don't, he doesn't introduce himself. She doesn't introduce herself, nothing. It's kind of a weird moment again. And so before, you know, Tanya leaves, she asked her again, well, you know, are you sure you're okay? And Megan said, yes, I'm fine. And that would be the last time, you know, anyone actually saw Megan alive. Um, not that she disappeared, you know, we find out that she dies in her apartment, but it's weird, you know, it's a kind of, I feel bad for the neighbor, you know, I bet she probably carries or carried at least for a time, some guilt on her shoulders about, I thought things, you know, I thought something was creepy. You know, I maybe could have done something more, but she reassured me that everything was fine. And it, it kind of reminds me of one of those situations where you see like in movies or on a TV show where they're trying to like call the cops secretly and um, shout out weird shit about like their address and like, but not giving it away. And so I wonder if, not that Megan said anything, otherwise she was pretty straightforward of like, no, I'm fine. But it's just kind of one of those moments where you think, was she trying to tell me something? Could I have done something? You know, what's going on? But um, anyway, uh, by 4 a.m., her apartment would actually be seen with smoke coming from it. And her unit uh, specifically and the fire department was finally called. Um, the fire would be extinguished and her remains would be discovered um really charred and then, you know, bound to the bed, like I said. Um, not only was, you know, her throat slashed twice, like I said before, but um, it was cut down like all the way to the bone. Um, so it was, it wasn't just like, here, let me slit your arteries, blah, blah, blah. It was like, a, let me carve down to your vertebrae. Um, 
And then they also found that a plastic bag had been placed over her head. Um, some reports say that she was bound with pantyhose and a belt um, like to bind her to the bed, but um, she would evidently, uh, or evidently, eventually, she would have to be identified by dental records, even though, you know, that was her apartment. I guess that's, <clears throat> I mean, obviously good protocol, I guess. It could have been someone random. Um she was supposedly found with a nightgown on, which I guess was unusual for her to be wearing um, at night, like as nighttime attire, like to go to bed in. I thought this was really interesting. They said that men that they interviewed um, that she dated, I guess, um, they claimed that she would usually wear uh, a t-shirt and shorts to bed. But if they were just romantically involved... And I'm not really sure how to differentiate that because it's like, why would a guy know what you would wear to bed if you're not sleeping with him unless maybe he's gay or literally just a friend? But I'm not really sure how they determined that. It wasn't really described. But to me, that seems a little weird. Maybe it's just like a one night stand kind of thing. She would wear a nightgown or lingerie to bed. But if it was, like I said, you know, more of a relationship, she'd be a little bit more casual. And we've all been there, done that, whatever. I don't know if you guys can hear my dog drinking water right now, but he totally is. And if you can't, then that was irrelevant to the topic. Um, anyway, so like I was saying, um, police believe that, you know, this was this nightgown lingerie thing. This was in preparation for an intimate evening. And it kind of makes sense if Tanya, you know, knew that this was the guy that she had met at the bar, that Megan had met at the bar, maybe she was just planning to kind of maybe have a one-night stand. And that's totally her prerogative, but it wasn't it wasn't anyone the neighbor recognized, so it leads me to believe, you know, it wasn't someone she had been dating for some time. If, you know, Megan and Tanya did speak on the reg, you would think that she maybe would have met this guy before. And, like, introduced himself. I don't know. It was all just kind of a strange, like I said, interaction. Um, so whether this was true or not, like all of her past, you know, partners and boyfriends, they were questioned, but, um, none are considered suspects and they actually all had solid alibis. Um, that's a lot of people to kind of talk to, but maybe not. Maybe it's a small town. Maybe you only dated a handful of people, but they were all narrowed down as not involved. Um, the prime suspect in the case um, is a white male in his late 30s, um, currently, I guess, would be in his late 30s. Um, he has a mustache, or he had a mustache, maybe he doesn't now, um, mustache, blonde hair at the time, and he wore gold-rimmed glasses. And I actually found like a composite drawing type thing, <clears throat> sorry, of this person, and I'll post it on Instagram, and it's kind of a oogie-looking picture. Um, but they're trying to actually track down another man who was seen spending time with Megan, who was supposedly, uh, this is the worst description of all time because it's kind of like extra general, but they're supposedly, they said that they are Hispanic or white <laughs> with a tan complexion, uh, and dark hair wearing a cowboy hat. So that's fucking Lufkin, Texas. That's everybody. You know what I mean? Like that, that's, I don't know. It wasn't very helpful, but I guess potentially, um, he's not considered to be a suspect, but just someone with information about her and kind of the evening at the bar. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to kind of like go into like my question and theories thing, but before I get to that, um, 
So some have mentioned that her case is actually pretty similar to that of uh, Brandy Wells, who disappeared in Longview, Texas, in 2006. And I actually stumbled upon this episode, uh, or Brandy's episode of um, the show Disappeared the other day. And it was actually pretty creepy. You know, I had researched this thing with Megan, and then seeing this Brandy Wells show, um, I had when I was looking up information on Megan Brandy's uh, case kind of popped up out of nowhere, and um, I didn't really look too much into it, but it was definitely, they were like, oh, it's she disappeared at a bar, and it was small town Texas, yada, yada, similar kind of situation, kind of country cowboy type stuff, and um, so I was like, oh, shit, you know, I need to watch this. I had originally gone in search of, um, it was like the Maura Murray disappeared episode. Um, and then, you know, I watched that and then I also saw Brandy. So I was like, I really need to watch this. And it's kind of a strange correlation. They never found Brandy, but um, I really don't know what happened to her. And maybe I can look into her disappearance in, you know, in a later episode. But when I look at her case, even as briefly as I did... I really can see some similarities, but I also just don't really know what to think at this point and if there really is a connection because obviously we found Megan's body and what happened, but Brandy has never been found. So I don't know. That's a pretty big difference right there. Um, There was another girl who went missing, which is uh, Megan Hembry, or is it Megan Hembry? I'm not sure how you want to pronounce that. And she was in Lubbock, Texas in 2013. Now creepy to me, and maybe this is just my OCD picking out words that look the same, but Longview, Lubbock, Lufkin, maybe there's something to it with these L's, <laughs> but um, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. So Brandy had a suspect of a man in a cowboy hat at the bar called Graham Central Station, and um, I think originally she was supposed to go to the Electric Cowboy or like a location of the same name, um, but I believe that this person was actually cleared of any involvement, at least based on what the show kind of depicted. And then Megan went missing under similar circumstances as Brandy, but I do not have really any details currently on Megan's disappearance, like I said. So so questions and theories, um, we'll get right into it. My first question would be, you know, did they get any official video cameras um, or tapes or whatever recordings from the bar or any like credit card records? You know, this is 2000. This isn't uh, 65, 75, nothing like that. Even 80s or 90s, you know, we have cameras. I know it's a small area of town, and it, but it's probably one of the bigger you know, like country bars um, out there in the area. So I would assume they would have some sort of security footage, um, things like that. Uh, Since the case is still open, technically, they don't have anybody, you know, close enough suspect-wise to really figure out who did this so they can't close the case. So I get that they may do, they may have found, you know, video footage and have credit card records or anything like that. So I just don't know about it because it's still an open case. But um, I feel like that would, you know, definitely be helpful in this situation. Um, and did maybe the neighbor or anybody, did they get license plate numbers or make and model of the car? You know, I think that would be pretty uh, important. If she even thought that it was fishy that he drove up and screeched and kind of was a prick to her inside the apartment. I don't know. She clearly had some sort of, you know, weird, odd feeling about him, getting weird vibes from the guy. I obviously, 
I don't know how to explain this because it's not like, oh, obviously I would go write down someone's license plate number if they were rude to me. But if she's already this kind of woman that is getting strange vibes from him and is kind of protective maybe of her neighbor and trying to make sure that she's okay, um, I don't know. I just figured that maybe she kind of had the sense to do something like that in general was to go write it down. My mom always tells me that she... If she hears like the dogs of our neighbors barking at like an hour that they normally don't bark at, she always looks at the clock because she's like, if something were to happen, at least if she was questioned, she could be like, oh yeah, I heard dogs barking at 3 a.m. or whatever. And so I don't know why I really kind of inserted that, but it's just like funny things that people do that if you do have a sense of like, this is strange and you're getting a weird feeling, trust your gut and go fucking write down the license plate number. You know what I mean? That's all I'm saying. Write it down. (laughs) Um, I want to know if they found any sort of, um, you know, murder weapon, I guess for the slitting of the throat. And I want to know, was she suffocated first with the bag or was it just placed over her head after the fact? Um, did he slit her throat first and then put the bag over her head? I'm not really sure. Blood splatter, uh, blood spatter and all of that, you know, with the burning, I'm not sure how that all came out with the bag over her head. Um, it would be interesting to know. And who knows if they could even really get anything from that because of, uh, you know, the, the damage caused by the fire. If she was just left there with a bag over her head and blood, um, they would be able to probably tell, okay, it was post-mortem, pre-mortem, that kind of thing. Um, and then the bag was just there for a strange, confusing effect, I guess. But I, I don't know. I, I would like to know because I think that that would show if he's trying to cover things up or kind of the events leading to her death. If he came up behind her with the bag, suffocated her, um, and then decided to slit her throat out of just anger to like finish it off and make sure she was dead just in case and then light the fire extra, extra to be safe. I don't know. Um, so yeah, murder weapon or was there, you know, how did he get out is kind of what I want to know. Did he slam the door? Did he go out a window? Are there fingerprints on the door? Um, obviously, you know, the window might be not as easy to get fingerprints off of if there was a fire, but, you know, the the door on the outside, the motherfucker probably touched it, so did they test for that? Um, if you burn down a place, uh, I actually watched an episode of Forensic Files the other day, and this guy, <clears throat> he, I think he shot the husband, and took the family fishing, came back. The guy had been dead for a couple days or a day or something like that, and then killed the rest of the family and then lit the place on fire. And they were able to tell that the husband had been killed days before through forensics. There was still hair in the house from the wife, I think. So just because you burn something down doesn't mean you get rid of everything. Sure, the likelihood of your DNA and whatever you might leave behind could possibly be gone, um, but they live there. You know, Megan lives there. So her shit's going to be everywhere. But if you find something random, and especially if it's in a small apartment, maybe, you know, it's a lead to the person who did this. But if she was on the somewhat, I don't want to say promiscuous side because go do what you want to do. But if there were multiple men, maybe going in and out of her apartment all the time, not all the time, but frequently, um, I don't know. 
it kind of leads you down the path of like who who really was there and is it this guy's or that guy's and say they found fingerprints from five guys like how do you really figure that out that's I don't know all that's kind of confusing but also um you know were there apartment complex cameras again this is 2000 I don't know what her apartment you know, setup was, if there were hallways, if it was just some stairs, if it, you know, there's maybe cameras in the parking lot or at the main building, but you know, the apartments that I've lived in, they didn't have cameras, uh, like right out, you know, your door or anything like that. So maybe, I don't know, was there a gate? Was there an entrance that he had to get through? Obviously not because he didn't like call her and be like, hey, can you let me in, you know? And he just drove the fuck up. But who knows? Maybe there was a guard. Maybe there was a gate. Maybe there wasn't. But I feel like that would have been helpful. (laughs) So apartment complexes, you should put cameras. I think everyone should prevent murders or help with murders, I guess. Um, and then, you know, because if they did have a camera, they could track down the car better. You know what I mean? If homegirl Tanya didn't write down a license, pl- <clears throat> a license plate. Um, so I kind of want to ask questions about, you know, the autopsy and was there sexual assault and was it a sexually motivated crime? Was she just, you know, a tease at the bar and he got pissed and she was trying to maybe calm him down. Did she offer to let him come over and he showed up kind of maybe last minute? Um, how did he know that she was there? You know what I mean? How did he know where she lived unless she gave him her address at the bar? Did she know him previously from somewhere else? But if everyone's claiming, you know, that he had never been seen before leads me to believe that no, he was a random guy new in town. Um, so I'm not really sure where the exchange of her address came into play. Um, I don't know. Maybe it really wasn't even the guy from the bar. You know, she just said it was maybe, I don't know. Maybe she was, uh, I don't want to say that she was, you know, um, going down a sex worker route, and she was just, he was just a random guy that stopped by, um, because what motive would that be? He's going there to specifically pay her for sex. So it's a completely consensual situation unless something goes awry. Um, but if he was the guy from the bar, I don't know how he got her information unless she literally did write it down, but it just all seemed kind of weird. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I, I, I don't think that he would, I need to gather my thoughts here. Okay. So if, like I said, if she offered to have him come over, he comes over, it should be fine. It should be consensual. It should be normal. And there would be no reason to light her on fire. If it was a John and that was consensual and he was paying for her sexual services, that shouldn't be a cause for lighting her on fire as well. So something happened after that door shut that pissed that guy off, whether he was paying for her sexually or not. He clearly, uh, I think there was a sexual motive in there somewhere. Um, obviously if her body is fully charred, there probably wasn't, um, uh, they weren't able to, you know, get any sort of, um, rape kit or see if there was a sexual assault taking place, um, or if there was fluids or anything like that anywhere in the apartment. 
But uh, to me, she was in a nightgown. They're stating that, you know, that was kind of her attire for those intimate nights. Um, I think that something happened and she decided she wasn't into it. And maybe he got pissed and was like, oh, I already lost you once tonight. You went to another bar without me, you know. So he just was like, no, I'm doing it. Or he was just a sick fuck running through town and decided, you know what? I feel like killing someone and lighting someone on fire. So maybe that's it too. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. I don't know. Um, Like I said, you know, DNA remaining, fingerprints, all that stuff. I really wish that, I don't think that anything probably was found because of the fact that this is still an open case. You know, I don't know if Lufkin got FBI involvement. I don't know if, you know, their police services are that uh, equipped for this kind of crime. You know, that's the problem I see with a lot of small towns is that they don't have the budget for, you know, a bigger team of police officers because they don't really need them necessarily. But if you're going to do that, if you're going to have enough money to start a fucking 80-person town, then send your cops to go get trained on homicide and detective work because if you can't afford to have more people and the manpower and the education, then at least go send your two fucking deputies to go get educated on this so they can solve your town's crimes and not have to waste everyone else's time and you get the Texas State Police then you have to get Dallas and Houston to come in and it's just wasting everyone's time. And it's more people and more paperwork and more bullshit when maybe, I don't know how you could do it because I'm just spouting out thoughts of my own and I haven't thought about any logistics of the whole situation, but if you could just get your town to, you know, have the means of sort of knowing what to do when a homicide occurs then cool. That that would be nice because I think a lot of this stuff might not turn into such a big ordeal if they had the proper means in the first place. I'll get off <clears throat> that tangent there. Um, anyway, so yeah, fingerprints, DNA, did it happen? We don't know. Um, I want them to kind of redo, you know, this, uh, what was I going to say? The, the, uh, the guy's picture, the What's the person's name? Everyone's shouting at me right now, and I just said it five seconds ago. Anyway, the uh, composite drawing. Thank you. Um, I want them to maybe like go back to Tanya if she's still alive and redo it and see if they can come up with anything else. Go back to the bar, look at tapes, something, something, something. This wasn't that long ago The technology advancement is just completely separating the two decades where nothing can be matched because of the fact that nothing was there in the first place. This was just 2000. Something has to be salvageable in a technological sense. And I I just, like how I said in the Cheryl and uh, Andy case of the sophistication and the, the advancement of this criminal, like maybe this guy is the dude that has done this to Megan and Brandy. And you know what I mean? It's It's a big triangle of shit and this person has never been caught and I don't know why. I mean, fuck, Megan's was 2013, Brandy's was 2006. It just keeps getting more and more technologically advanced. So what is this guy doing or this person doing and how they're getting away with this? Um, You know, if I don't want to say that if you have a mustache, you always have a mustache, but it's a pretty good likelihood that if you're a cowboy, you want to stick to that sort of realm. And Maybe you'll always have a mustache with a cowboy hat. I don't know. Just fucking redo the portrait, redo the composite sketch, something, and and 
I don't know, this person has done this and they're getting away with it. And I just don't understand how, like, it's kind of mind boggling. I mean, I know it's easier said than done and there's a lot more to it than that, but it's very disheartening when something this horrific happens and it's just like, well, we have all this stuff and a horrible crime, but we are not going to do anything about it because we can't. And I just don't get how, like, literally, I don't get how, if this is the guy who did it, if the guy who she met at the bar came to her house and killed her because of whatever reason he thinks he wanted to kill her for, he must have been prepared, you know? He must have had something sharp enough to kill her, some sort of bag. Was the bag from her house? We don't know, you know, to put over her head. I wish that we knew this information so so I wouldn't sound like such a bitch, like yelling at law enforcement right now. Not that they care or that they're listening, but, <clears throat> you know, I, I, it makes it seem premeditated. And this was something I actually, and I'm not trying to get off this topic right now, but this was something I totally forgot to mention in the Cheryl and Andy case that I'm pissed that I forgot about. But like the the whole premeditated thing, you know, the golf balls and the golf club, like who has that sitting in their car? Who walks around with that if you don't think that they drove there? It's just weird shit like that he laid out and why and and for what purpose? Was he a rich guy that played golf that lived in the area? Like, I don't know. And so it's like with this guy, did he have all that shit in his car ready to go to like knowingly kill her? Was this completely premeditated? And was this guy maybe not just a random passer through or person, you know, going through town? Maybe they did know each other from whatever. Did they check her internet history? Was she on some sort of website? Was she, you know, like I said, sex working in some capacity online or, you know, whatever, trying to make some money. She's free to do what she wants. She's not married anymore and she wants to have a good time. This is the attention seeking aspect that I was talking about. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's so many different, not so many different theories, but there's possibilities that may be you know, I'm not saying that no one else has thought of this, but there's possibilities out there that he didn't just buy her a couple drinks and got pissed because she didn't want to fuck him. You know, I think that there's more, some, there's something more to it. He knew how to get there. She let him in. There were weird vibes with the neighbor. I just don't know. I don't know if there was any media outreach, if, you know, they, they tried to put out a picture or speak with the bar at all. Um, Obviously, they did cert, sort of because they were able to get a description of someone else that was at the bar, that tan, dark, pale skin person with a cowboy hat, Hispanic guy, whatever vague ass description that was. So, I mean, I know they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, but it's also very difficult because it doesn't really seem like it. If they had been doing what they're doing, there had to have been some sort of lead or some sort of break in the case, in my opinion. And maybe there was but it just led nowhere. I don't know. And again, I'm sorry for yelling at the Lufkin police department, but that's just my opinion. So yeah, I'm going to just end it, end it at that with the rant. Okay. Sorry. I kind of had to like take a second there because I kind of realized that I, I, I actually told my mom this the other day. I told her, I said, you know, I get so heated and worked up and like I read out my questions and I have so many different thoughts and I go on all these different tangents and it's not cohesive and I feel like it's frustrating for people to probably listen to and it's frustrating for me because I just keep 
like I don't ever have a end point with it. But you know what? I'm not going to apologize for it in the sense that I actually do it. I am sorry that it takes up a lot of time and it might make things more frustrating. But it's my way of really kind of um, figuring things out for myself when it comes to these cases. Um, I've really learned that as much as I hate having a cold case or a disappearance, something unsolved, um, I enjoy them because it really pushes my thought process to think outside of the box, as cheesy as that sounds. Um, You have to think about all the other different aspects of things. It's not so black and white to where it's like, well, she's dead and he did it, or he's dead and they did it, whatever. Um, It might be frustrating because you want the answer and at the same, like I keep, I keep saying, you know, these are open cases. So the information isn't public knowledge, uh, to a certain extent. So it makes it all the more frustrating. Cause it's like, well, I probably wouldn't have these questions if they would just give us a little hint here and there. But, um, that's what makes it more interesting. I think it, it really, it, for me, it, it makes me think harder and, uh, question things. And it, I feel like I've learned something and I feel like I've, I question something different every time I read about a case like this or an unsolved or whatever. And it makes you look at every aspect a little bit more different. It makes you look at the police officers differently. It makes you look at that person differently who's dead and or who's disappeared. Um, I was listening to um, the Missing Marmory podcast and it was one of their earlier episodes and they had... Um, I think I actually already mentioned this maybe in another episode, but he was, they had a forensic psychologist on there and he was talking about, it was a, what was it, a clinical autopsy or a psychological autopsy or something like that. And it's the, basically the, the mental autopsy of a person. And I thought that that was really interesting of, you know, what did, what do you know about them and how did they act like after they're gone now? And you really kind of analyze them mentally and not necessarily physically like a normal autopsy would be. So um, that's the kind of thing that I enjoy about these unsolved cases is that you really get to get into all the what ifs and, you know, the if, ands, or buts, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So um, I won't apologize. Yeah, like I said, for all of my rants and my questions, it's just me. Hopefully, uh, it won't always be that way. Hopefully, when my friend uh, comes on to the podcast, it'll be a little more even keel on things, and it won't just me sh- be me shouting at you guys. But hopefully, my questions raise questions with you, and it will trigger something for you guys to look into. And um, Basically, I guess advice is don't let anyone into your apartment. (laughs) If you meet a guy at a bar, go out again. Don't just take him home. I don't know. That sounds bad. Do what you want, but just be safe. Don't, if you get a weird feeling, if they drive up fast, uh, if you live in Lufkin, Texas, don't take someone home. I don't know. All right, so I will wrap it up for you guys now. Um, Thank you guys again for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. That would help me out a lot. I'd really appreciate it because I would love to actually be able to screenshot my phone with this podcast on some sort of ratings category situation that would like make my life complete. And it's already really cool, and I didn't even have to do anything to be a part of this iTunes situation, but I'm really excited for myself. You would be too if it was you. So go and start your own true crime podcast, I guess. I don't know. Um, 
that was dumb. I need to edit that out, but <laughs> I probably won't. Uh, anyway, um, follow the podcast on Instagram, Texas 1031. Uh, yeah, Texas 1031 podcast. And uh, remember, no dashes, no spaces, no capitalizations. And um, let's see, what do I have? Oh, I kind of wanted to like... Uh, there's some podcasts that do like a fun, like, oh, well, I'm going to leave you with some like recommended reading or some books to read or uh, a podcast to listen to of, you know, something they recommend basically. Um, and I'm sure everyone's already done this. And this is literally like the fifth time I've mentioned this girl's name, but I'm really hooked on this Missing Mara Murray podcast. And I finally was able to find the documentary that they make <clears throat> on uh, Apple TV. So, um, if you want to find a case that boggles your fucking mind and just leaves you like hanging because you're like, what the fuck actually happened to this girl and your theories and your opinions, they go back and forth and back and forth. Watch this documentary. I'm literally only on the second episode and that's the only ones that have aired. The podcast has over like 50 episodes and I'm literally only on like maybe the 12th or 13th, but it's so fucking good. These guys are great. There's so much conspiracy and interesting shit. It kind of makes me sad for the family. It makes me really sad for Mara because um, I think a lot of this stuff has been sensationalized and um, a lot of the shit that they're saying probably didn't actually happen, but maybe it did. I need to keep like a glass of water by my computer. Jesus Christ. Stop uh, clearing my throat. Anyway, uh, recommended. Yes. Do the Missing Mara Murray uh, podcast. It's interesting. Um, Don't go on to the websites and blogs and shit and contribute to that stuff because I really think that it's actually kind of hurtful to those, the family and stuff. Like just listen to it, have it for entertainment. Don't feed into it because it's, it's just like another weird theory about shit. And brings me to my next thing was A&E put out a little docu-series about the, uh, I think it was called the murder of Lacey Peterson or something like that. Um, that was probably the best thing I've watched all year. No lie. My mom and I wa- would watch it every week. So fucking good. Um, the one thing I don't like about the Mara Murray stuff was that, it, like I said, very sensationalized, very produced and somewhat edited to me to make it kind of like cliffhangery crap. And I'm just like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to be able to tell that you're just saying things to make it for TV. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Just you, if you watch it, you'll understand. <clears throat> but the Lacey Peterson, Scott Peterson stuff, holy Holy shit, this was so good. I know everyone has their opinion about Scott Peterson. You've probably already watched it, but I hope you're agreeing with me. If you have watched it, if you haven't, go and go watch it. I don't know where you want to find it, on demand, Apple TV, fucking YouTube, whatever. Um, It's literally so good. The way they lay it out, every episode is well done. It's not confusing. Um, They go over, you know, like before she disappears, after she disappears, finding her, the trial, all that stuff. And your opinion of him will change. If you think that he did it, uh, you probably won't after, uh, not, not to spoil anything for you. Maybe you, you will keep your opinion, but it's, it, 
my mom was like, I hate him. Fuck that guy. He killed his wife and his unborn child. And I guarantee you at the very end of this series, she was like, this guy's innocent. And how did they not know any of this stuff? And how has this gone on for so long? It really makes you consider, oh my God, so sorry. Uh, It really makes you consider like the appellate courts and the lawyers and the appeal process and just all of that stuff is so heavy and it really makes you realize that the justice system is kind of corrupt and it's not fair and the jury process and jury selection and all that stuff is just absolutely fucking insane. I need to stop talking about it because now I just want to go rewatch it again. But if you guys watch it and you like it, um, let me know. Email me, direct message me, whatever. I'd love to hear your feedbacks and your theories. Um, yeah, so recommended Marmory, Lacey Peterson, Scott Peterson thing. Um, and yeah, I guess that's it. Let's see for next week, you guys. Well, I will tell you. Whoops, I'll tell you right now. One second. Let me just like actually find what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, let's see. Episode four is going to be, it's going to be a good one. It's about a woman who kills a lot of people. I'll just leave it at that. Um, it's actually pretty horrific, but it's good. It's interesting. You probably already heard of her. I won't tell you who she is, but it's going to be awesome. So please tune in next week. Like I said, rate, review, and subscribe to Texas 1031. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hopefully next week we will have my friend Cassie. She will be on the next episode. If not, it'll just be me, but hopefully she will be on there and we'll get everything started with a two-person podcast. Um, and okay. Yeah. So I will talk to you guys next week. Not like anybody's listening or if anyone's listening, whatever the sign off was, but yeah, if anyone's listening, happy Halloween. Bye guys.